the material part of man. The Bible makes a distinction between the material and the non-material part of man. For example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you were to look there, I believe this on the screen, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, the Bible says, Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. This is trichotomy. This is spirit, soul, and body. It's one of those $5 words, right? Um, there are three parts of us. According to this scripture, uh, a, a lot of people would subscribe to the, uh, to the idea that we are made up of, of three, of body, soul, and spirit, three parts, right? Um, but there are other scriptures that suggest that there are two parts, that spirit and soul are, are one together, and so we are just body and spirit. We are material and non-material. Uh, a scripture like this in Matthew chapter 20, uh, 10, verse 28, that says, uh, Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So soul and body, uh, just two. That would be dichotomy, right? Uh, for those of you that are taking notes or Googling words. Uh, man, that scripture right there, though, uh, I, I've used this. I, I talked about this in the men's conference, too. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Um, that right there shows you the value of the soul. We'll look at that a minute ago, the part of us that's alive to God. Um, it also puts fear in its place, doesn't it? I quote this to our children in sports. When they're intimidated by the other team, I'm like, hey, don't worry about it. All they can do is kill you. <laughs> serious, serious. It puts it in perspective. Worst thing they can do is kill you, son. You know, um, I've used that before, but I do. We say that often. I think it puts it in perspective. I didn't have that in my notes, but take for what it's worth. Um, tonight's focus, though, is, is not about spirit and soul, or it's not about spirit. It's about body, uh, the material part of us, the material makeup. And it doesn't really go into a lot of biological things. It's really a lot of biblical things uh, as far as how we are, are made by God and what that means. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 is where I told you we would start, and the Scripture says, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. And I kind of want you to get this idea because it kind of talks about, I do this anyway, but I'm actually doing this on purpose right now, where, where it's, a, it's a master craftsman idea of God taking dust, forming from the dust of the ground. And then, but, but this is a distinction that God breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils and the man became a living person. And Adam became a living person. So, uh, if, if you enjoy Bible study, then you may enjoy this next part for what it's worth. The word man and the word ground in the original language are very similar in translation. Um, this is a definite play on words. It's on purpose because the word man in Hebrew is Adam and the word ground in Hebrew is Adama. So I'm sure a lot, a lot of you that, you know, you theologians out there are like, that is so cool. Um, if you are, I, I think the reason why this is in there, I, I believe it truly with all my heart, is because there's order. There's creation. There's purpose behind what God is doing. Uh, there, the physical being was formed from the physical substance. So when the Bible says that we are formed from the dust of the ground, you have Adam that is grounded in Adama, and we are material and of the earth as seen within the chemical makeup of our bodies. That's the way that we were made. There's a reason why the first man's name was Adam, right? Uh, my, my mother, uh, she, she's always loved horses and has got a few. She boards a few. And when I was probably like a, I don't know, I know maybe like 19, 20 years old, she, she bought, which is basically a rescue horse, 
um, out in West Limestone. And uh, she went out there and we got it together. She's like, why don't you ride out here with me and we'll get this horse and we'll load it up and we'll come back. I said, great. So, you know, I hopped in the truck, 19 years old. I've got all kinds of time in the world. Want to hang out with my mom all day, right? 19 years old. So we go over there. It took us, <laughs> it took us two hours, two hours to, to get that blasted horse on, onto the trailer. And um, my mother ha- has a reason why she names her horses the, the way she does. And uh, she named this horse uh, Hope is what she named it. She named it Hope. And all those years, every time I call her by name, I, I, not that I call her by name all the time, but I think about that instance that out of that context was born a name. And, uh, and that's why, I, again, names mean something. That's why God named Adam who he did because he's grounded in the earth and that physical substance. That's what we are all made out of is the substance of the earth. The animals were also formed this way. If you look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, if you turn there real quick because I don't think that's on the screen, but if you look in Genesis chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says, So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. So just as we were formed by the master craftsman by the dust of the ground, so were the animals. But there's a distinction made by the breath of God, that God breathe the breath of life into us. We are human beings. So it's not dust that makes us humans. It's not uh, that, that we are made like we are to look like we are that, that makes us humans. It's actually the way that we're put together and purposed by God that makes us people. It makes us human beings that are created in his image to reflect his image. That's why we are people. That's why we are human beings. Uh, when we die, the Bible says that we're going to be put into the ground from which we came. That, that is a result of, of, of sin that we'll look at in just a second. But it, even ashes are spread. They are spread over into creation. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19 says, For you were made from the dust, and to the dust you will return. That is a very bleak picture, is it not? Uh, to the dust that you will return. And it is bleak if you are without Christ. It is very bleak. Adam lived for, does anybody know how, how long Adam lived? Come on. Anybody? Got 700, I've heard 600. 652 years, thank you for playing. 930, 930 years, we would call that a long life for sure. You can find that there in Genesis chapter 5, verse 5. He lived 930 years and then he died. But here's the deal, that was still too short because he was never purposed to die from his original form. Life was supposed to be his forever, fellowship with God forever, until sin changed the scene. Sin changed it all, and every person that would follow Adam and Eve are created with a sin nature. So by sin, we all became mortal, and the Scripture says that the wages of sin is what? Is death. What we earn because of sin is death. We earn a physical return to the ground. So if we think that sin looks awesome, just know that's all it promises, is a physical return from the casket to be buried with the dirt on top. And if we are not looking to Jesus for salvation, there will not just be a physical return to the ground, there will be an eternal separation spiritually from God. So that is the wages of sin, and if sin looks attractive by any means, it's not. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 teaches us that our bodies along with our nature to sin, and that's something we'll talk about at length tonight, they are inherited from Adam, and because it is, we inherit the grave. Now, that, that truly is bad news. But the Bible also teaches, while that first Adam, 
that we come from, meaning that we come from the dust of the ground and go back to the dust of the ground, that is what we inherit from him, that second Adam, who is Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus, while Adam came from the dust, Jesus came from heaven. So what you get from Adam is back to the dust. What you get from Jesus is entrance into the kingdom of God and eternal life in heaven. And that's the distinction that the Bible makes. Romans chapter 8, verse 45 teaches that Jesus, unlike Adam, is not death-earning. Jesus is life-giving. And he is the life-giving spirit, a life-giving spirit, the Bible says. And therefore, if we are in Christ by faith in him and repentance from sin, we will inherit eternal life. It's also worth mentioning, again, that God formed people from the dust of the ground. Again, this is similar to animals in Genesis 2. But as we have the breath of God breathed into us, this, again, and this is, we mentioned this for a moment last week, this is where you should find your value if nobody has encouraged you today at all. If, if nobody has made you feel worthwhile today, you should know that God breathed the breath of his life into the life of humans from the very beginning. You were created special, you were created higher above any order of other creation. This is where value comes from in creation. And David realized this. In Psalm 139, as David thought about his life, in Psalm 139, David thanked God for making me so wonderfully complex. He thanked God for that. And, and I, I've, I've thought about this today. I guess David could have thought to himself, well, God created Adam directly, but not me. You know, I was just born of a woman years and years after Adam, a long time after. Initial creation was created special and with purpose, but there's really nothing special within me. I'm just another number in creation as time goes on. But David went on to say in Psalm 139, in verse 15, you watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. And before that, in verse 13, he said, you made all the delicate inner part of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. So when you think about those scriptures and you think about your value and how you were created and if you were really created by God or you were just born, when you think about those scriptures, you ask the question, is Psalm, the book of Psalms, is that just poetry or is that the truth? Is that just poetry or is that the truth? Poetry is the genre. All of it is truth if it's in the Bible. So, so when the scripture says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, when the scripture says in Psalm 139 that you made the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb, that means God created you. God is not like anybody else. God is everywhere present. God is also involved in all of creation. This is who he is. This is not theory. This is the truth of God's word. This means that for every person that has ever been a person ever, this means for every person that is a person here tonight or that ever will be, that he has made, that means that he oversees the development of a human being before they are born and within the womb. Surely you are picking up a cultural message now as to what we are to stand on and stand firm on as to when life begins and what's happening and why it's so important 
that, that yes, we are, are pro-life because that's when life begins. God's got that. And I, I, I don't take this into a, to chase a trail tonight that all of the situations and scenarios, but I want you to understand this is, this is what God is doing at, at life in the womb. And while none of us are, are born to perfection, this is important as well, as we think about how God is, is doing all the programming, he's doing all the engineering, as he is everywhere present, as he is directly involved in creation, none of us are born to perfection because of our inherited sin nature. None of us. Each of us are born as an image bearer of God, though. Every single one that is born is born a physical body given by the hand of the master craftsman. Every single one is born with eligibility of redemption because God's plan does not end in the nursery, does not end in the grave. So that means we can be right with God forever and eternal life in the kingdom of God. All right, so let's talk about the purpose of the body. There's three views I'm going to give to you tonight. The last one is the right one. The first two are the wrong ones, Okay. But the first two are the ones that, that oftentimes are, are adopted or thought of. Uh, but three purposes of the body, and, and the first one is this, that the body is bad. The body is bad. Simple enough, right? Up until the 1960s, and I need to slow down so I can pronounce this word correctly, self-flagellation, self-flagellation, that is self-beating. It is self-whipping, whipping yourself. Up until the 1960s, that was a bodily penance within the Catholic Church to show remorse for sin. It was practiced by, by Catholics, still may be practiced by some today, but it was practiced within that because it was, to a large degree, symbolism, a symbolism for suffering. Um, others thought that it may be a, a, a private expression of suffering for sin. But one source said that early Christians thought that the body was evil and it needed to be controlled. And that's the why people would take a whip and whip themselves over their back or to whip their flesh, to discipline their flesh. But originally, as you think about the, what the purpose of the body is, and if there, some thought that the body is bad, originally Adam and Eve's body was not created for sin. There was no shame amongst them, the Bible says. Completely naked, that's a foreign thought for all of us. There was no shame until the will of man came into play and there was disobedience in the garden, there was no shame within the body types or anything like that with Adam and Eve. Jesus became flesh, the Bible says. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, that Jesus became flesh. He took on flesh. Now, he did not take on a sin nature. He took on the body like, like we have. He did not take on sin. He took on flesh. He who, who became sin, or he became sin who knew no sin, right? So that he might become, we might become the righteousness of God. So the Bible does not refer to the body as intrinsically or fundamentally evil. Greek philosophers thought that the body was material and evil, and the soul was non-material and good. So in Greek philosophy, it was that the body is awful, but the soul is great. So if you just get to the soul and put down the body, you should be doing just fine. But man is not divided between good and evil within himself. We are who we are, united. Non-material and material are both united into one. We are united in one sin nature, thanks to Adam and Eve. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. And Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Notice this, not to one side of everyone, but everyone. So when the scripture says that 
Adam brought sin to everybody. That doesn't mean that Adam brought sin to everybody's body and not to their soul. Because you think about it, the, the expressions of our body come from what? Our desires. It comes from the inside. So when Adam's sin spread, it spread to everybody united in himself, material and non-material. Flesh in the scripture. Let's look at that for just a second as we talk about the theory or the thought that, God, that the body is bad. Flesh in the scripture does refer to the body, as we've talked about, in its created state. That's not basically bad. But it does refer to our fallen nature. When you read in the scripture of flesh, in most cases, that does mean the body is bad. But it also means that the soul is bad, that all of it's bad, wrapped up in a nature to sin, and that is included in the totality of man. This is all our unredeemed humanness when you read of flesh in the scripture, which would include material and non-material. We would call this our nature to sin or flesh. So it shouldn't be weird on Sunday morning when you hear somebody refer to flesh. If somebody makes a weird face on the pew beside you, then let them know now that you know he's talking about all of it. He's talking about your nature to sin. Romans chapter 8 verse 8 says, that's why those who are still under control, under the control of their sinful nature, can never please God. Now, that's not just our body, that's all of us. If we are under the control of our sinful nature, apart from God, remaining in our sin, we can never please God with any part of us. But the good news is that while our body is locked down with sin to the point of death, back to the dust, the Bible says the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. So, and I love this part, and I say it often. When you are forgiven of sin, you are not just freed up from the penalty of sin. You are freed up from the power of sin. Because Jesus is giving life. And I've heard Brother Dusty say this many times from the pulpit. Yes, we are still capable of sin, but we don't have to. I've heard people say before, that's the first time I've ever heard that preached. When the Spirit of God resides in you, we would be telling a lie to say, well, we sin every day, or we choose to sin every day. When the Spirit of God, who frees us from the penalty and power of sin, resides within us. Now, we should also know on the balance side of that, that this flesh nature of ours that's still in this world will not be perfected until glory. So, I should also tell you that anybody says that they're perfect now is also a liar. All right? But we don't have to. We, we have a spiritual decision to make when uh, we have sin in front of us. That said, we don't need to whip ourselves. Y'all don't need to leave here with that thought in mind. You don't need to, to go to the store and buy that and think that's a good idea. I'll just beat myself into submission. Uh, because we need to train ourselves for godliness. That's what the scripture would teach. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Is that on the screen? Yes. I think it's on the screen. No, it's not. I'm sorry. So you can look it up. I, I, I made that uh, note too late. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Check this out. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. And then it talks about the, the expressions of our flesh. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. These are desires on the inside of you. No one commits sexual immorality because of their body. They commit it because of their desire that leads to the expression. So that is the first one that is wrong, that the body is all bad. The second one that is wrong is that the body is God. 
And so this in our culture is, is very easy to get to as soon as we look at a screen or turn on the television or whatever, that, that, that the image of a body that is lifted high and above and given thought that there is a perfect one, right? The idea of, of this, where the body, is God, the body is God, is called hedonism, where one does not see the body as bad and to be disciplined, the body is seen as good and to be pleased, Broad Stroke says this when it comes to a hedonistic ideology, maximum pleasure and minimize pain, maximize pleasure and minimize pain, or to seek to be pleased at all times. This would position the body above all else and would actually be a denial of the soul life. Because if the soul life is conscious to God and you are all about the uh, maximizing of pleasure and minimizing of pain, then there is no God involved in that. It's all about what I want. So while I don't know that we have many here within our local church that are dealing with the temptations toward hedonism, I know that many are tempted to give more allegiance to bodies than they should. And that is certainly going on within every part of our culture. As we make comparisons of ourselves one to another, we think about who we are and who we could be, what we should look like. And so in that discussion within our cultural dialogue of body image, I actually, there are some things that are going on within our culture that are not bad. In fact, discussions of body image are actually helpful in the discussion of self-worth and people have a sense of self-worth. And and all should be, uh, we should all have a healthy sense of self-worth because we are all image bearers of God. And that's where it starts. God never says what Adam and Eve looked like, I don't think. I'm serious when I say I don't think. I did not spend a lot of time studying that today, but I don't remember where it talks about the height of Adam, the weight of Adam and Eve, the, the facial features, their physical features. But now, again, I know also that there were times in the Scriptures when, when God says, I believe, when God says of Saul, right? I mean, he looked like a king. How'd that turn out? How'd that turn out? So, so I'm, I'm also thankful when I come across these verses that I'm thankful Uh, When I think about myself and the insecurities that I may have, I'm thankful that God looks at my heart. And I'm thankful that God looks at my heart if if I've prayed God create within me a clean new heart and I'm following him. But God doesn't look on the outside. He, He looks at the heart. That's what God is after. So this is why our bodies should not be the focus. If God looks at our heart and not the outside of us, but on the inside of us, this is why it should not be given a, a status of divine Unhealthy body image leads to all kinds of things. It leads to eating disorders, unhealthy relationships. Unhealthy body image leads to low self-esteem. When your body is your highest aim to please, the links to feel valued can often be very destructive. One source I read says that 91% of women are unhappy with their bodies. Only 5% of women, according to one source, naturally possess the body type that is often portrayed in American media. That's, that's, that is unhealthy. That is unhealthy to perceive, unhealthy to digest. Studies show that the more reality TV or the more social media that a young woman or a young girl watches, the more likely she is to find appearance important, probably more important than it should be. Men deal with this too. They just don't talk about it. You see, that's the stats on men. We walk around like we're good, and we'll internalize it, and we never tell anyone and so if there are body image issues with, with men, they don't open up. And that's why the stats suggest that male body issues are significantly associated with anxiety and depression. That that is a significant source of those things. The way that we view ourselves. 
Again, that has a lot to do with what value we put on our physical nature. Our culture presents all kinds of blatant and deceptive messages about the body that influence for one to indulge in the body, for one to shape the body, for one to worship the body even in our culture. To that, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, he does not say, I indulge, I shape, I worship. He says, I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So his view was not to indulge the body or treat his body as God or to be careless with his body. That was not his aim. His also his aim was not to treat his body as nothing, but to do what? But to discipline it and subdue it to keep it in proper place. That word discipline there, I discipline my body, is very interesting because that word discipline literally means to hit underneath the eye, to hit them in the mouth, to hit them in the eye. That's what that word means, I discipline. What does that mean? It means he knocks the impulses of his body down. He keeps all the things within his sin nature that rear up that would tell him that the body needs to be ultra important or not important at all or there is no self-worth. He knocks those things out. He disciplines those things to prevent him from, from getting away from mission because it will. It definitely will. Self-worth, self-value, the way that we see ourselves and, and the way that we treat ourselves will, will certainly keep us from ministry. And he kept his body in the proper place. But today, as we look at that, and, and I think in the proper context, this likely referred to specifically to uh, being blameless sexually, to subdue his body. That would, that would keep himself in, in, in line for ministry. Or to keep himself, uh, in principle, it would, it would mean to us to keep ourselves above reproach when it comes to the area of gluttony or drunkenness, because that's mentioned in the Scripture too. Today it could definitely be relative to allowing temptation to be like another person, to be like another body image that would de determine how we function when we give that too much value or to into that too much. God is, God is supposed to determine those things. God is supposed to determine how we are valued and how we see ourselves. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 16, when we are thinking about the value that we place on the body, Jesus said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Not your body, but what do you benefit if you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? The answer to that question is no. That's why he's asking it. Because the soul or the immaterial part of us is the part that is conscious to God. It is our heart. It is our will that is to be subject to and dedicated to our Creator. Consider one, Psalm 103, verse 1. The psalmist said, Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart, my inmost being, from the inside out. Let me praise God and praise His holy name. If this is where the innermost acknowledgement comes from, we should be concerned more with the innermost, with our mind, our heart, in our will, as well as our bodies. Now, the third and the accurate view of how we should see our physical nature is that the body is a partner to the soul. The body is a partner to the soul. This is an accurate view of our flesh. The body isn't bad, and the body isn't God. It is a partner to our non-material makeup, and both of those are to be submitted unto God. The expressions of the body, the desires of the sinful nature, the desires of the saved nature when we are saved. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, don't you realize that your body 
is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourselves. You see, I, I think we, we need to be careful of our expressions of our body, whatever those look like, when the Scripture says that our physical temples are to represent the immaterial spirit that is within us. So, you know, like, hey, man, I know some, we may have some guys in here tonight that are muscled up, and, you know, but I've often heard from those dudes that are just jacked, right? They would be the guys who would be like, well, body's a temple. Yeah, that's part of what that means. You know, that's, that's part of what that means. But it means a whole lot more than that. It means every expression of our body either represents that God lives in here or he don't. That's how important this is, by the way. That's, that was one of my main takeaways from today, is that whatever we do with our body, our expressions, the way that we treat things that we put into our body, the way that we have expressions that our body does, whatever we do, they, that either says that the Holy Spirit lives in here or vacancy. That is, it's questionable at best. Verse 12 says that we are allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for us because not everything would represent the Holy Spirit of God living within us. So the desires of our flesh must be disciplined so as not to represent someone who hates the body or worships the body, but is someone whose body belongs to the Lord. I, I finish with this. Our, our greatest example is always Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, Romans chapter 8 our greatest example is always Jesus and the body of Jesus because the scripture says that the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. So the obedience to the law does not save. The Bible says and teaches that the, the law came around because there was sin before it. The law came around to show you just how sinful we are, right? So God did what the law could not do. The law cannot save. We cannot adhere to the law to save us to that point. So God sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. There's a distinction there. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declares an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sin. So the body that God gave to the Son. The body of Jesus was created by God and for the glory of God and to the submission, service, and even unto death for his glory. The, the, the body that Jesus had is the one that he laid down, that, he, that he, he showed the scars in his hands to us to testify to the, the limits that he went to the glory of God. Like all of that was, was part of his body. The body of Jesus fulfilled the sacred requirements of the law. So his body was an instrument used by God for God's glory. That's really the way that we should see this as our body is a partner to our soul. One final scripture, just as a sobering wake-up call reminder, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. You notice that? This is the works of judgment. Whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Amen and amen. All right, we got nine minutes till 7.30. Man, we're doing so good. Y'all tell others about Wednesday night. We get out early and all that. It's great, okay? Uh, I say get out early. You got nine minutes to fellowship, right? That's also part of the reason why we're here. So make somebody feel welcome and check on somebody with the rest of our time. Let me pray for us, and we'll be dismissed, and we'll, guys, we'll see y'all again on Sunday. Lord, thank you for your word, and I pray, O oh God, that we are diligent to
study your word, and uh, Lord, to know who you are, to know who we are, and what you expect of us as we do not belong to ourselves. Uh, Lord, I, I pray that we would not give too much value to our physical, back-to-the-dust body. And Lord, I, I pray that we would not treat it with too little value. God, seeing us ourselves as bad because of what we look like or because of what desires bring to our mind that we should do with our body. But I pray, oh God, that we would see this that you've given us as an instrument for righteousness. And Lord, that you have made us with a special purpose to bring you glory. And in order to receive that nature, new nature of righteousness, we must turn from ourselves and turn to you. And by faith, receive your way of making us right through Jesus. And I pray that you bring that to our mind and heart if that's where we are. And God, help us to leave from here better prepared to be a light in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all have a good evening.